Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. I'm Matt Waldman. Joining me from CampusToCanton.com is Felix Sharp. Always a pleasure, Felix. It's always happy early Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I love that you're a working man and that you aren't letting the Thanksgiving holiday uh, get getting in get in the way of, of producing content. Um, so we're recording on a different day to make sure that the people have the show. Yeah, I mean, I got family coming up and I'm looking forward to that. And Thanksgiving is one of my absolute favorite holidays. So I will be taken off, um, though, maybe late at night. I might sneak I might sneak upstairs and watch a game or two and take some notes. But um, but probably with, <laughs> after everybody's asleep and already has you know has their bellies full because i'll be cooking again on thanksgiving this week this this year that's kind of my deal so um but we hope all of you have a great thanksgiving out there we're gonna have a fun show today because we're gonna talk a little bit about a little more of a continuation about our topic of logo scouting and kind of clarifying some thoughts on that as well as some conversation about two top running backs um who are young running backs on the college scene in um, Quentin Judkin, Judkins of Ole Miss and uh, Nick Singleton of Penn State. And then we're going to talk about three wide receivers who might not be really high up on draft boards right now. And one of them for sure, um, I already know he's a sleeper of mine. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's like, He's going to be one of those, he's one of those guys that no one's really talking about right now. So... Matt, can I just say the Quinshawn Judkins versus Nick Singleton debate is one that is reverberating on Twitter right now. So I can't wait to give you my thoughts on these two players and to get your reaction. I think it's how a lot of your um, audience consumes your content. They probably consume it the way that I do. Like I already have a take on a player and I want to get Matt's take. So I can't wait until we get uh, to that part to talk about these two, two freshmen, true freshmen, fresh out of high school running backs. And um, both, ha well, both uh, have one's having a very productive season statistically, uh, and the other is very highly touted. So I'm just, this is going to be a fun debate, and we're going to um, provide our own takes and, and, and uh, provide our own uh, thoughts on, on this argument uh, that's going on Twitter right now. Without a doubt. So, so I want to hear what your thoughts are, you know, after we had our show and we ta I talked a little bit about logo scouting. You said, you know, yes. I want to talk a little bit more about this subject in detail. So let's hear. I've been kind of interested sure. in the past couple of weeks what you're going to say. Sure, sure. So and I think this is something that's relatively simple. What scouting the helmet is or scouting the logo is and what it isn't. I think scouting the helmet and, and Matt, I want you to challenge me on anything that I'm saying. Here. Okay. I think scouting the helmet is making a presumption about a player's talent level or ability to translate to the NFL based on where they played. I think what we do and what we have to do um, in, in projecting these players from college to the NFL is, is make presumptions about the player's opportunity based on the offensive caller, play caller's history. Ryan Day at Ohio State, I was trying to look up the statistics on this, but he runs 11 personnel like a, a predominantly uh, there at Ohio State. In 2021, Ohio State had two wide receivers with 1,000 yards receiving uh, and, and a, a third with nearly 1,000 yards receiving. Jim Harbaugh 
at Michigan has never had a single thousand yard receiver. That's eleven in in, in college coaching. That goes back uh, eleven years from his time at Stanford and I forgot where I, was it San Diego State he was at before that. I don't yes. remember. I, San Diego. I, Sandy I, and I looked it up before um, Josh. I, lo- I, I looked it up. Yeah, and uh, he won't have one this year. So uh, uh, twelve years. So if Xavier Worthy transfers from Jim Harbaugh's Michigan t- team to Steve Sarkeesian's Texas, as someone who's evaluating freshman underclassmen to the NFL, when Xavier Worthy did that, his stock gets a bump for me because I am projecting a different amount of opportunity under Steve Sarkeesian's team as opposed to Jim Harbaugh's team. Steve Sarkeesian there at Alabama with Mac Jones and and Bryce Young um, throwing the ball all around the yard. Jim Jim Harbaugh is influenced by Bo Schimbeckler. Bo Schimbeckler is student body right. You know, I mean, he's almost uh, he's almost Vince Lombardi. You got a seal here. You got a seal here. You're running <laughs> up the alley. I mean, that's that's really you know Jim Harbaugh's influence. And so when I take a look at even at this 2023 freshman class coming in, I will make certain assumptions about a team that's pass heavy or run or historically. Uh, run heavy, whether they play uh, out of shotgun, five wide, run hurry up, all ba- all based on what I know about that offensive caller, play caller's history. Right now, one of the big things in our in our space is projecting who's going to be the next Chip Kelly running back. Chip Kelly there at UCLA, it's got Zach Charbonnet now. They run a relatively simple offense. They run a lot of uh, uh, running out of the spread. It gets a lot, they get that player gets a lot of opportunity to run as opposed to if if Zach Charbonnet went to for example a Mike Leach um, uh, system he might not get the same opportunity so I think that there are certain systems that we project opportunity not talent level but opportunity based on where it is that they play. And I don't think it's any different from what we do in the NFL. I think we have certain expectations for the kind of offense that Kyle Shanahan runs and what uh, what opportunities those running backs are going to have. We have certain expectations about Andy Reid's offensive play calling based on years and years of experience with Andy Reid, going back to you know his time in Philadelphia and when he got criticized for not running the ball enough. Yeah, I think this even works like defensively. If I am an offensive coordinator and I'm facing Dick LeBeau, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with my offense facing, you know, four or three scout team looks. That's not, that's not what they right. run. Or, 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 Jim, or Jim Schwartz. When Jim Schwartz came to Detroit, we knew that he was going to be implementing the wide nine scheme so we could expect um, to rush with four and not blitz a lot. That's why Kyle Vandebosch and Dominican Sue, uh, Corey Williams, Nick Fairley, Cliff Averill. I mean, it was the, they called them the silver rush. That's when back in 2011 under uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, the defense brought that front four. They brought it. That's the system that he brought. So it's something really simple to say. But I want to I want to clarify that we are we are projecting opportunity based on where a player goes, and if Lincoln Riley goes from USC to Michigan, then I'm going to have a different perspective about the opportunity at Michigan. Uh, if if Zach Kitley Zach Kitley was was the um, uh, offensive coordinator at Houston Baptist and then took that system and Bailey Zappi, who was at Houston Baptist, to uh, Western Kentucky. Well, last year we saw we saw that, and we thought that Western Kentucky players could be a value because you could get them really, really late 
in campus to camp leagues. You know, lo and behold, we were right. They run a spread system and throw the ball around the yard a lot. That actually led to enough opportunity for for uh, Bailey Zappi to get drafted. So I think, you know, we have to use that as a data point to project um, to project potential NFL potential NFL draft capital. I mean, it's one of the data points that we have in addition to you know athleticism, forty time jumping, all that kind of stuff. What they did in high school, but. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's. I feel like it's something very simple to say, but I wanted to, to kind of underscore that point uh, after your show last week or the week before. And I think that makes total sense, and and I think it's a good explanation to really discuss. It's almost like a opportunity. It's it's like a combination of opportunity plus kind of like draft a a base layer of draft capital in a sense because it's going to influence draft capital. I mean, if you. If you were in one of those systems where that really benefits that position, that makes it easier to, to be scouted. It, you're going to be in more profile opportunities. Teams know that there's some proven level to, to what that talent has. But you're right to differentiate that from, well, because Coffee didn't do well at running back at Alabama for the 49ers and decided to retire, that and Eddie Lacy ate his way out of the league, or however you want to describe what happened with him, or Trent Richardson, you know, couldn't really didn't follow up his first season, and you know, at anywhere near what people thought his problems would be. Therefore, Alabama backs are trash in the NFL. When we see that that's that's really on a case by case business on basis, and I'm sure that Josh Jacobs and and uh, Derrick Henry would have something to argue about that along with Damian Harris. So it's one of those scenarios, though, that I, I totally understand is that you, especially if you're playing in the campus to Canton League, because you do, you want to be able to maximize points that way. And then also it is going to give them an opportunity to have a higher draft capital, which does relate to um, opportunity in the NFL that can lead to point to value there as well. So I think it's a, I think it's a valuable thing. I think where we look at it is that I, I'd almost look at it as this, is that scouting the logo or like looking at the, looking at where their landing spot is, has value. It's just that you can't, it's just that at the same time, you can't denigrate a player's talent based solely on where they went to school without looking at that talent. And yeah, it's some, it's something that, um, people are doing right now with C.J. Stroud, comparing him to Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, Terrell Pryor, Troy Smith. I mean, you know, oh, well, uh, Ohio State quarterbacks, they don't they do not do well in the NFL. Like, that's – it's not some that is not a perspective that I endorse at all. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. And But you know what also makes sense, Felix? And that's, that's people should be joining Campus to Canton League because <laughs> – it is by far the most immersive form of fantasy football today. It's a dynasty fantasy football paired with college fantasies. You can see with what our discussion's about here. I mean, how much more fun can you have when you're really talking about strategy here and why and having an extra layer of not only draft capital but landing spot in college and how that sets up the pros. So, you know, you're playing a college matchup and an NFL matchup each week. It means guys like Stroud or Bijan Robinson or Marvin Harrison Jr. can help you win your college matchup for the week. Heck, my dad called me up last night and said, okay, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's an Ohio State alum. He's like, Marvin Harrison Jr., is he for real? Like, is he really going to be as good as people said they are? You know, so 
part of me wants to say, Dad, you know, I, I know that you're like, in a few years, you're going to be 80, but, you know, maybe you should join one of these leagues. You know, you might have fun with this. Um, but these guys can help you win your college matchup for the week. And then when your college players declare for the NFL draft, they're added to your NFL roster. I mean, it's as simple as that. So go to campus2canton.com, get started, play both sides, play campus2canton.com. I love that transition. You're such a professional. I went back and looked at the uh, draft, the college side of my first C2C league. So, I, you know, obviously there's two drafts, the NFL side and the college side. Uh, this, was the, this was the first round of my first C2C. Justin Fields went number one at Ohio State, obviously. Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Jamar Chase at LSU. Rondell Moore at Purdue. Rashad Bateman at Minnesota. George Pickens at Georgia. Travis Etienne at Clemson. Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. Journey Brown <laughs> was my pick what a at Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam Howell at North Carolina. Najee Harris at Alabama. Justin Ross at Clemson. Pretty, I mean, pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, not bad not at bad. all. Not bad at all. That's fun. I And I like – there's some of those names on that roster I liked a whole lot. That would have been fun. Like, I, I look at that and go, oh, I could be picking players like that. That would be fun, you know. So, so let's let, – you know, it's always fun to talk about running backs. So, yes. at least from my point of view. So, you've got two good ones on tap here with Quinchon yes. Judkins and, and, and Nicholas Singleton. So, tell me what, what do you think about these two guys? Because I've watched them – more on the periphery while I'm watching other players and I'm taking notes of like kind of more like just mental notes of like, okay, I like this. I like that. What's my first impression off the hoof with these guys, but I haven't like put the magnifying glass on them just yet. Yeah. So again, you know, this um, debate has kind of raged on because Nick Singleton had been for most people, number one thing back in this freshman class going to Penn state and we had Quinchon Judkins rated very high, highly uh, in this class. He was only a three-star, but we had him in a tier two uh, at Campus to Canton. And Quinchon Judkins is having an excellent season. Production-wise, statistically, if you're box score scouting, you know, Quinchon Judkins is having the much better season. He's also he's also uh, out-touching Zach Evans, who's many people is going to be a day two NFL draft pick. So if you just look at production, Quinton Judkins is having the better season. Nick Singleton is splitting time with two other running backs there, uh, Devon Lee and um, Tron Allen, who is a, a freshman, kind of a girthy uh, between the tackles grinder who we thought, you know, would have trouble with conditioning uh, at, at Penn State. because he's kind of like a, I, I can't think of the right, sloppy isn't the right word, but he wasn't like built like Nick Singleton was. Anyway, so comparing these two, when I watch Singleton, I watch a player who plays with very good leverage and pad level. Um, I, I I hear the term slow. I didn't play the position, but I hear the term slow slow two fast through for yes. running backs. Slow, uh, slow slow to the uh, setting up your blockings fast through once you see the hole and. There's another gear that Nick Singleton has, in my opinion, when he sees the hole and he's fast through. Um, his acceleration, it's, I mean, it's very apparent and immediate. He, he, he immediately, you know, has this um, uh, velocity or that he that he's running through the hole through the hole with. I think that he takes contact around the base, the lower base, uh, at times, and he thumps right through it. I don't. He, he's a player that. It, I think he's going to give safeties headaches, and I don't mean that 
figuratively. I mean, literally. Uh, I see a player, if he has a head of steam, he just might run right through you. Uh, that's what I see from Nick Singleton. And he, he also has the speed to, to – if he gets to the second level, he can r- run run by um, run by a, a secondary. Uh, and not only run by a secondary, but, you know, when you watch players chasing him, you see that space get wider. Uh, so that, to me, that sh- shows that he has, you know, a different gear. When I watch Quinshawn Judkins, he is a, he's a good freshman player. But we talk about micro-movements, and what I've understood about micro-movements is like how a running back prepares for collisions and how they um, uh, could potentially shed that collision. Well, I've seen plays where Quinshawn Judkins is getting tackled chest to chest. Uh, his chest running into running into a safety, um, uh, safety spinning down to to take take the running lane where he hasn't dipped a head or shoulder or anything or shown really any awareness about the collision that's right in front of his face. I've seen that a number of times on his tape. I've also seen him get knocked clean off of his feet by safeties and corners. I think that he's patient with his blocking, um, and that's encouraging. Uh, he's patient with with allowing pulling pulling uh, linemen to to uh, get in front of him and set up the lane. So I think that he's demonstra- demonstrating some maturity there. But he he's benefited from a lot of wide open holes that tell me kind of don't tell me a lot about him as a runner. Like I think there are a lot of players who could run straight through a wide open hole and you know and get to the second level. I just don't think that he is as violent of a runner as Nick Singleton. Violent in that, you know, if a cornerback comes in and hits his legs, I don't know that – I think that that corner is probably going to bounce off of Nick Singleton where they're going to wrap up Quinshawn Judkins and bring him down. So um, that is my perspective of the two. Uh, I think that folks are looking at Quinshawn Judkins from a production standpoint and saying, oh, this guy's the best running back in the class. I don't see it that way. I've still got Nick Singleton had been my number one running back in the class, and I still see it that way. So now I am uh, now I'm anxious. Now I'm anxious to hear um, what's your take on these two. On these two, well, it's fun because watching these two guys, like right away, my first thought was the more refined running back of the two is clearly Nick Singleton. Like I think he's a just a smoother runner the way he moves he's he seems to be play with a little more control with his movements to set things up um i think he understand he he does seem to have shown also the finishing pad level that you want to see i agree with you about that pad level like it's really good consistently um so i don't think he's you know athletically judkins looks like Judkins looks like a pro right now. Like you look at his body and you're like, that dude looks like he probably, I don't know what he weighs, but he looks like he's in the 210 to 220 range. And if someone said he's 220 and literally is legit 220, I wouldn't be surprised. If someone said, no, he's closer to 210, but you could say, well, I could see the frame being in that 220 range when it's all said and done. Um, The Singleton absolutely has from what I saw, superior long speed. He's that guy that once he gets into that secondary lookout, whereas with Judkins, it's more like he's going to run some people over. He's going to run through some people. And 
he'll he'll when he builds up to full speed, he's going to flip the field, but he's not going to break away. People are going to catch him a little bit more often. Now, the thing for me that's fascinating about these two is that when I'm sitting here watching and I'm just reviewing some of these again, I'm, I went through some highlights with Judkins, and again, highlights don't tell us everything, but from what I've seen with his game, there are some really sick movements with him laterally that I'm was really impressed by. There's there's a couple from the Texas A&M game where you and the and the UCF game where he really shows some advanced movement skills that are that's fun to watch and you can see that he he bounces off a lot of indirect contact but it's not it looks the contact looks worse than it, what it really is when you take a second look at it it's not quite as impressive as some of the stuff you see that's a little more understated with Nick Singleton so if you ask me they're different backs in a way whereas like Quinchon Quinchon Judkins to me seems more like a thumper in that school of like Ricky Williams without the speed kind of thing. Whereas like Singleton doesn't, Singleton's going to be more than big enough to be an every down running back or a lead running back, but he doesn't look as rocked out as say Judkins does in his uniform. Um, and he seems, to, what he does is a little more subtle. So if you're going to ask me today, I would probably agree with you that it would be Singleton, but it's close enough that I'm when I watch Judkins, um, you know, the, the bigger thing to me is that I think Singleton's a little more refined as a decision maker with this with the scheme. Whereas with Judkins, a lot of what I see with him are gap plays, which might not matter because in the NFL we're gonna see lots of gap over the next few years if they don't find a way to stop counter with these little guys. Um, you, you know, with the smaller defenses, but you know, I'm sitting here watching Judkins again with he, the suddenness of his stop-start movement is really pretty darn good. But it's a matter of whether or not um, he can play within control. And I think that there are some instances here where I, you know, fortunately they're going to have another year, maybe two, for us to see how they develop. And I think. It's close enough that I could see how one one overtakes the other or just distances themselves, but it's the jury to me is still out at this point. Um, only because when I look at Judkins, there is I do see a violence to his running style. I mean, he drops the pads, he gets the knees high, he can he can tear through some guys, and he really does a good job with the forearm, and he can break multiple tackle attempts. But there is a little bit more all or nothing with him in certain situations versus versus Singleton, who, when I look at him, I feel like Judkins is the guy that may do it in highlight-worthy fashion, but it's more like, you know, is he more Marshawn Lynch or Tyrion Davis-Price, you know? Whereas with Singleton, I look at him and I go, is is he more of a... You know, I'm trying to think of a back that would be this way, but is he more of a Curtis Martin type? You, you know, kind of smooth and, um, you know, doesn't look like he's making as much of an effort with some of the things that he does than it, than it really, than really what's going on. Kind of like that duck swimming above water. You don't see the feet paddling furiously underneath. And a lot of his game, when you 
when you examine it from that perspective, he makes it look easier. Whereas Judkins makes it look good because it, he, it looks hard, you know, that that's without really like identifying specific things with them. Just from what I've seen on the surface, that's kind of where I am. So these are, uh, this is the class of 2025 in case you're trading for uh, dynasty rookie picks. And I did, I wanted to look up their height and weights. Nick Singleton is look, listed at Penn State's website at six foot 219 and um, Quinchon Judkins at uh, 5'11", 210. So I, I think, in, I, th- I can't remember exactly the numbers, but I think that we project about 15 pounds worth of gross between their freshman and junior years. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. We're probably going to get, both of these guys to be around that 225 even 230 mark for both of them very very possible you know and and i and i'm and as someone from my point of view whether it's accurate or not i've always looked at guys in college and and try and subtract somewhere between five to seven pounds from their listed height and weight um because i'm i i unless they're super big which in that case sometimes teams try to make them small look smaller than they what they actually are um you know so or they're trying to lose weight but um both these guys can you know also can catch i like what junkins does as a you know hand-eye coordination as a pass receiver but uh yeah it's a fun conversation i i i'm looking forward to seeing how this is gonna go me too. We could have this conversation again at this time next year. If you if you will still have me around Matt Waldman, we can have this conversation. I think we can year. arrange that. What do you think, Felix? Yeah. I think we can there we, we can definitely arrange that. So so let's let's move on a little bit and talk about some of these wide receivers here. There's three that I watched over the past couple of weeks who fascinated me. The first one that kind of caught my eye was a former, I think, five star recruit, number one wide receiver in the nation for what it was worth, who opted for Oklahoma in 2019. Mm-hmm. And that's Jaden Hazelwood of Arkansas. He's listed at 6'3", 211. Um, I kind of see some shades of, of T.O. to his game, not to the level that people should get unbelievably excited about that um, because there are other players who are like on the back of NFL rosters. Aurelius Ben has shades of mm. T.O. to his game. And and some of you are who you know and some of you are illinois like, yeah illinois yeah and some of you are don't remind me and <laughs> and some of you are like oh yes i remember but uh but he uh he suffered an acl talent tear in 2020 transferred to arkansas wasn't feeling really comfortable at ou tried to stick it out but just said i just never felt good there and his uh cedar grove which is uh, which was a school in my district when I was growing up. Um, his Cedar Grove High School coach um, went to, ended up at Oklahoma and they had a or Arkansas and they had a pretty good fit together and he decided to go there and he felt really at home. And when you watch Hazelwood, you know it he was used a lot in the slot in Oklahoma. Um, you know, but they often also used him on the perimeter and then had him break inside. I like what I like about him is that he does seem to have some release moves and some refinement to him to build on. Um, some of the footwork is is there. He has a variety of different footwork moves and hand usages, but the that combination of patience to suddenness that you have to have to really sell a route, like Devontae Adams, I always talk about as an example of that, is someone who 
it's like watching a snake strike you know they're very slow at first and then suddenly they just leash out you know reach out and 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 it's just lightning quick that's what you want to see with some of these ways of setting up movement and you want to see him do that a little bit more he does have some violent hands though and what really impressed me about him the most was when they do throw it up to him in contested situations he's an absolute man i mean he will he will win the ball and it seems very comfortable in those situations out leaping pulling the ball away his play strength his positioning all seemed pretty good um, I want to see him have consistent intensity with his play, um, especially with route stems when he's not going to get the ball. Um, you know, there's times where you take a break and I'm fine with that. And then there's times where you're just making it clear that you're not going to get targeted. And, there, and he bleeds over into the area of where I can pretty much tell when he's not, he's, he doesn't think he's going to get targeted. And when he knows that he's the primary guy on the route. And that's something you don't want to be a notable difference um, at this stage of the game. Um, he does have some sharp steps with his breaks. Um, and I think if he can do this at uh, on, in the deeper ranges of the field as well as he does it in the shallow ranges of the field, he's, got, he's on his way to becoming a complete receiver. Um, you know, but he's got work to do. I mean... Arkansas doesn't ask him to do primary route runner kind of stuff in this offense. There, but you look at Traylon Burks, and they didn't ask him to do that either. They there were a lot of schemed schemed plays or plays in zone, and there were some one on one things that they did with him, but they weren't to the degree that you're like, do what Robert Woods does, you know, in Tennessee right now or in L.A. You know, it's more like, all right, let's. Let's find. Let's do some sort of play action look that gets you a one on one, where you have to beat the corner, but you just break inside the safety and outleap people. Or we're going to do a throwback or some sort of crossing route or something where you break inside in the middle of the zone and we leverage your ability to run after the catch. And after the catch, this is where Hazelwood is at his best. Because really, yes, I think he, I think he makes the first man miss. Um, very well. He can sidestep pursuit that's within a yard of him. He's really fluid to layer moves in succession. He dips away from defenders in one direction, and then two steps later, he has that spin move where he can just, you know, avoid two defenders at once. It's like he's got a little bit of a couple of moves here where he says, look, I'm playing chess here, not checkers, you know, in the open field. So he's got some moves together that he can pair. And he has a sharp enough lateral jump stop and jump cut to avoid defenders in tight quarters immediately after the catch. And then when you add to the fact that, yeah, he's sick, probably in that 6'2", 6'3", mm -hmm. 207 to 215 range before it's said and done with, he will drop the pads. He will attack downhill. Um, you know, he if he can land a stiff arm with a little more timing, um, that would even be a weapon to him, but he's very good with the balance touch. He's just one of those guys that I could see working out even as a big slot in the NFL if he never graduates to being a guy who can be a primary route runner. He might even have a shot to be a big slot. And I can't remember the kid's name, and I do this every week 
because I don't think I don't think about these guys as I'm talking about the scouting mm-hmm, report. Mm-hmm. But he's a kid out of Nevada who played for the Tennessee Titans. Originally started with Miami, and he had one big year as a big slot with Ryan Tannehill at the helm, I believe. Um, and he and yeah, see, I'm going to draw. It's, I'm giving the earworm to, to Felix already, and to all of you who are probably out here screaming about him. But I know he played at Nevada. Um, so I know if you put Nevada wide receiver, Miami Dolphins, Tennessee Titans, it's going to pull. Will he will Rashard uh, Matthews? Yep, that's him. Rashard Matthews. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yes. We got it. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you emphasize his run after the catch ability because I think the perception of him at Oklahoma and even after he well, but the perception of him at Oklahoma, he was the number one wide receiver in his class, as you stated. And was injured, and then even when he came back, didn't demonstrate any sort of ability to warrant that number one ranking. And so, what happens with players like that is they're just kind of discarded. Yeah, you know, the community kind of forgets about them, um, and we don't really follow their trajectory. They go to the school in this case when they went to uh, Oak, uh, Arkansas, and I'm trying to see. I think he might. Yeah, he is eligible for the Senior Bowl. Um, so I wonder if he will get a senior bowl invite invite, which will tell us a lot about what the NFL thinks about him. Um, but the same thing that has happened with Hazelwood has happened with the number one wide receiver in the 2020 class was Julian Fleming, Julian Fleming has had soldier injuries has kind of just been discarded. And so we don't even like consider him to be an NFL prospect. You always give me something like go back and let me go check. Let me go look, and I'm good. and I bet you a lot of people are going to, going to go back and look at Jadon Hazelwood and give him a, a second chance, so to speak. Yeah, he's he's interesting to me. I mean, he's not you know, um, you know, somebody who gave me a list of guys that um, just that they've given like a cursory look at, and I just use as a as a list to just say who do I need to watch today because I know that they're not giving me any particulars other than they do give round but they know me well enough to know i don't pay attention to that stuff anyway like so they had hazelwood in that fourth fifth round range as a potential guy but considering that he does have that that tells you that there are probably some nfl teams that are thinking about him yeah yeah no that's 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 very that's very interesting um that's kind of where i would put him too as as a pension day three guy um I guess I have to go see if I have him, uh, if he's on the waiver wire anywhere. Yeah, we'll see. And and again, it's, you know, he's kind of hit or miss maybe for college production at this point um, and may not be worthwhile to your college teams, but maybe he's one of those guys that you add a little bit later to see what, you know, as you're in the bench stash to see if he's like Donovan Peoples-Jones who – or Nico yeah. Collins, who isn't anything great in a Harbaugh system, but now we're looking at him and going, "Well, all right, there's something there to, to work with." Maybe, maybe it's not so it's it's so important in C two Cs to get players with any potential draft capital at all because this is the this is the pipeline. So even if they're potential day three guys or undrafted free agents who could potentially become something, it's important to get those guys on your roster. So. Um, I can't. I, I can't wait until we do this. You know, next year, because I think the audience, when they start playing C two C's, are going to have more perspective about. Eh, I need to go check and see if this players on your roster or on the waiver wire anywhere. So yeah, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And and then the other guy that kind of caught my eye this this week was uh, Jaden Reed, who who's out of Michigan State, six feet, one eighty five. I watched him against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Illinois from this year. Um, and it seemed to me that they used him on either side of the formation in the slot. They used him as a split end and a flanker. And so when you see a receiver getting used in all those different ways, that's a positive. He was notably light-footed and quick. I really like that about his game, um, which kind of reminded me body type-wise. When you look at his body type and his movement style, you could see Stefan Diggs being that, you know, living in the greatest, living in the richest part of town kind of, you know, area of the comparison there. Whereas, you know, Jaden Reed, I haven't determined where, where he's living right now, but he's certainly not in Diggs territory, but you could see some remnants of that. Um, he's, I love the fact that I watched him make a game-winning catch in tight coverage on a fade in overtime against Wisconsin. He took contact with the play to the chest, showed late hands, boundary awareness. He had some focus drops against Ohio State, but they they were like the drops that don't matter to me. Like when you when you're in a hurry to transition downfield because you can't wait to try and take on the defense and you drop the ball because because you turned up field before you looked it in, that's a TO type of drop, a Brandon Marshall type of drop, one that you're not gonna go, yeah, forget these guys. You know, that's just that they got too excited about what's going on. But when but when you're making when you're making those plays, the tough plays. I, I like that. And he's got a ton of release moves. There are a lot of guys that we watch who have like one or two down really well. And then they've got two that just aren't good at all, but they try them occasionally because they're told they need to try it in these situations. And you can tell they're just not comfortable with it yet or they're just working on that part of their game. But he's got the one-step stretch. He has, you know, he has a hip shift, which you usually don't see the hip shift very often in, um, in the situations that he used it. He's got a violent stick. He'll use the double up. He's got, um, you know, he'll do things with his hands where he's got the, the wipe or the shed. He'll use a three quick or two quick release. Um, he pairs them up with the, um, he'll even pair up these moves together with the feet footwork. So, cause a lot of receivers also will just use their hands. They'll, they'll like run at the guy, the guy shoots their hands. They try to use their hands. They don't try and set it up with their feet first. You always should try to set it up with your feet to get them to stop their feet, shoot their hands and then follow up, then counter with your hands. And he has that whole game there. So could he be a little more violent sometimes? Could he use his feet a little more often to set up his hands? There's stretches of games where he didn't do that. But more often than not, I thought he did a good job. He needs to get a little bit more balance between that patience and suddenness that I talk about a lot. He's, he doesn't really sell it with enough hesitation to really bait the defender and then contrast it with that burst that he has. Like He should use that burst as a weapon. And right now it's kind of more like he's using it as a hammer as opposed to maybe giving a little more finesse to it. And, and he deserve, he should do that. But, um, you know, he'll stack cornerbacks when he beats them within the first 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So he's going to gain control that way. He seems to have some effective double moves. He'll threaten the back of the defender and uh, challenge their leverage so that he can manipulate them during their stem. Um, he's got some sharp um, breaks um, with speed outs. Um, 
you know, and I'd like to see a little more snap in his turn. But, you know, overall, you know, tracks the ball reasonably well, uses hands position that you want to see. Um, and I think at, at worst, there are a lot of guys who just don't use their hands in the right way. And I talk about that every Sunday on my Twitter feed. <laughs> People are seeing it around my Monday article. And But that's not vital to like, it can be vital. Let's put it this way. It's not necessarily a career killer if you don't use your hands correctly on every target. Stefan Diggs still has lapses. You know, you're going to see... Um, you're going to see most receivers whose names aren't DeAndre Hopkins, you know, have lapses from time to time, even primary guys. But if they're consistently having lapses, like say Gabriel Davis, where it's an adventure every time he's trying to catch the ball, even when he does catch it, it looks like you're, you see him fight it a little bit or it's awkward. You know, those are things that can inhibit them from really progressing beyond the, the into the next tier from being a, a contributor, a starter who's more of a, a supporting cast guy with occasional big games to someone who's like every week, they're a danger to be awesome. Um, so read to me if the worst situation he has is that her hands get a little wide apart or they're more side to side as opposed to the, the, the openings, the inside of the hands facing the ball, that's not the end of the world. You know, so overall, he can take hard hits. He can, you know, he he really understands how to set up people. He just has to develop a little more craft to his game. So I think there's something there for him. I just don't know if he's like going to be. He might start in the same draft capital as Diggs. We'll just see if he can ascend from that fourth or fifth round area to become more. Well, he's a player who has outs, to use the poker term, because he's also one of the best returners in the country, uh, punt and kick return. So if, if anything, like he could be drafted for his special teams ability, and that's how you get on the active roster if you are going to be uh, a return man. Somebody who started at as a true freshman at Western Michigan University, Kalamazoo stand-up. That's, uh, that's where I grew up in Kalamazoo. That's why I got to shut them out. Um, but And then transferred up transferred up to from Drew 5 to Power 5 to Michigan State. So, um, I know, dynamic player, and I think he broke it down perfectly. Um, but, you know, his calling card could be could be his return ability. That's how he could get on the field to start. Yeah, and that's always a great thing because, you, you know, a lot of guys started off that way. I mean, I think of, you know, you joked with me the other week. I said Brandon Lloyd. I mentioned Brandon Lloyd because of catches. He started off doing punt duty, you know, and, and guys who can handle – returns are important you know it's important for them you get that opportunity on special teams and coaches like you as a result of that and they and you show them your willingness to to do what it takes they they give you a little more of an opportunity there maybe even in the offense um you know the guy that might be my favorite out of the bunch that i've watched this week is someone that i'm you know i, I haven't seen much about Though I did laugh because somebody in his family followed me the next day on Twitter after I did, made a couple of videos. <laughs> so hello to you, the Wilson family. Is Michael Wilson out of Stanford, number four? Um, we already talked Never about Elijah Higgins. Yeah, Enough. he he was a four-star prospect coming out in 2019, I think, or 2018. Um, went to Stanford. He's 6'2", 209. That's his listing, at least. Um and I watched him against Washington, USC, and Notre Dame this year. 
And I got to tell you, he was the best route runner I've seen in, um, so far and in this class. And as you, as you guys have seen, if you get the rookie scouting portfolio, um, the rookie scouting portfolio, you know, when it tracks these skill positions, I have criteria lists that are between about 70 and 100 points of, of def defined criteria that I look at. So I break down routes the way wide receiver coaches break down routes, like how they're, what skills and techniques they're teaching players. Because uh, a lot of what I owe in terms of what I've learned and refined this to, I, I can attribute to a guy like Drew Lieberman, who's at um, the sideline hustle. He coaches um, Damier Bird and Allen Robinson and um, Olamide Zacchaeus and Jacoby Myers. He's worked with Mohamed Sanu and, and Julian Edelman and a bunch of other guys. And, you know, he's got, he has depth. I've had him on the show and his stuff really was well-defined. And a lot of what was on my board behind me for a number of years until maybe about a year ago, year or two ago was wall to wall criteria definitions that I got from interviewing him from YouTube videos, from my own work that I, and reading the work of guys like Jay Norvell, um, who, you know, coached the, the Indianapolis Colts wide receivers, um, for many years in the Peyton Manning era and the Oklahoma's receivers and coached at Nevada. And I'm trying to remember where he is now, Colorado state, I think. Um, so Jay Norvell is recognized as a top receiver coach and I've combined all that. And I started combining all of that about around the time that I started liking guys like AJ Brown and Cooper cup and, um, J Justin Jefferson and Chris Olave and like some of these guys that, you know, people thought are good, but you know, and I'll say when I look at Wilson's routes, listen, they play him a lot at split end. Um, they'll use him inside. He's an outside coverage man on punt duty. Tracks the ball pretty darn well in those situations. Um, so he's going to have an opportunity that way. Um, he had he had some sort of injury that cost him some time in um, 2019, late 2019 and early 2020. No, late 2020 and early 2020. Excuse me, early 20, late 2020, early 2021. I figured it out at one point here. I was about to get tongue-tied. Um, but when you watch his, his game... Um, Good one-step stretch that could be a little bit more patient and sudden. Um, but he has a good patience and suddenness with his double up, He where it's kind of two steps in a row. He has a very violent and sudden hands with his shed. Um, you know, he has a good violent swat and swim combination with his hands. He can duck walk, which is kind of like two stutter moves in a row. Is I don't know if that's the most accurate way to describe it but it's a kind of a slower release with movement off that can kind of look like he's trying to cross the face or hip shift a little bit, but it's a little more unique than that. Very explosive with his too quick um, and his wipe there. Um, you know, I think that overall his hands and feet release techniques are up there with, um, with Reed, who we were just talking about. Um, in terms of separation, he's not as fast. I mean, he's... He's going to beat maybe a, the coverage of a cornerback and earn two to three steps on the defender in the first 15 to 20 yards. And he can maintain that distance as the ball arrives and he'll stack defenders at the earliest opportunity, but he's not going to, he's not going to split 
defenders or safeties in the open field, even with a runway. Um, and when he gets to that point, he's he's very patient at being able to dip away from them, but press that that middle crease where it looks like he's going to split them and then dip away. So he's savvy in the open field and knows how to use what speed he has. When it comes to to routes, though, he'll widen or dive. He'll set. He'll sell the stem. And he'll do a lot of stair-stepping, which is the concept of where you get the defender thinking maybe that you're diving or widening the route in one direction or the other. And then you, and then just as you get about halfway through your stem, you straighten the stem out to look like you're going completely vertical. And that gets them to turn, and then you break inside or out. A lot of routes have a built-in stair-step to them, but some receivers don't even perform that because it's just too much detail for them to like physically grasp and do but he does those well but he also will stack and have the combination of what's a an inset and a peak so once he stacks somebody and he knows that he's gotten in front of him he will give a little lean in and look and look off to the inside as if he's gonna gonna break on the dig or the or the post and then run the fade or the out and he'll leave defenders like grasping it for air with a lot of that he's very good at that um he snaps his head well out of breaks he can drop his 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 weight and execute those the one long and three quick break where you get the one long break step and then the the three small steps to where you drop your weight um he does that well and comes back to the ball um he could do a little better to fully accelerate into the breaks on some of those but you know, overall, he's very good with those. He's aware of the boundary. Um, you know, tracks the ball well over his shoulder. Um, I think there's occasionally where he'll he'll leap unnecessarily, but at the same time, you know, he understands how to get position on jump throughs for underthrow targets, um, and really, you know, earn that position that he should get. Um, he catches the ball after contact. Um, take makes tight coverage plays in the vertical game. And he can freeze defenders with his quickness um, after the catch. He's, you know, he's not an unbelievably dynamic runner after the catch, but he knows where to how to set things up. He shows patience. He can pull through um, reaches and wraps to his legs. He's, he's he's a little more powerful than he is elusive, but he has that nice kind of sweet spot combination of of both skills. And when it's time to drop the pads. He'll push through direct hits against defensive backs and run through them. Like he can drop the pads to do it. He plays a little bigger than he even is. And as a, a pass protector, I watched him against USC on a long run where he just stuck with the safety for, I got to say, about 55 yards where he just kept re-earning and re-earning position. He wasn't manhandling the guy, but he was like savvy with main getting staying between him and the defender and it wasn't in that cheap sort of way that wide receivers do it was more mm -hmm. in the i'm squaring you and you know you were a cornerback so you know it was mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you you know how like some guys they like they block but they don't really block and then there's some guys that if they get to bully you then they're going to be all about blocking you but if they can't bully you then they're like they're finesse at, at best this guy's more like he may not bully you but you know he's giving you an honest day's work and that you got your work cut out for you when you face him. And so I, 
he's got one of the higher grades of the of the receivers in this class for me right now and that may change as i see more games because i'm you know i've watched three games of his thus far i'll probably watch at least another three um before i finish evaluating him um but i i'll say i was impressed and and surprised that that when i went to look him up that there wasn't much said but david shaw at stanford did say um heading into this year that he thinks that wilson is one of the best route runners in the pack pack 12 i guess it's the pack 12 these days i keep saying pack 10 because i'm old but um you know that includes guys like jordan addison possibly Mm -hmm. who who might be one of the number the top three prospects in this class at that position and wilson to me was very impressive and he is a senior bowl invite so he's going to get a chance to make a name for himself in mobile and maybe um get a little push up draft boards this is not a player that i had ever laid eyes on that i had ever studied um but it i love it because helping us discover players is i think is why we come to you in the first place so (laughs) and i when you told me this name before um before the the show today i'm like i only recently saw this guy's name on a draft list and i know nothing about him so i am so excited to go um watch him and and see the same things that 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 you've seen i love discovering new names that i've never seen before and this is one this is one had no idea who this player was there at stanford there had been some other more prominent names that have come through that program but i think they've overshadowed him a little bit so now um i've got some homework to do i've got some homework to do yeah and and listen you know in the games that i watch just from a stats perspective against notre dame he had nine catches for 66 yards um three of them were targets that were not pinpoint um two of them that he had two drops in that game um did he have two drops yeah he had two drops in that game that were but one was he was caught and pushed out of bounds um, because he mistracked the height of the ball and the other was a back shoulder throw that he didn't turn all the way to address the ball and it prevented him from securing the ball away from the defender um so when but um other than that i watched him at usc he only had two catches for 30 yards in that game um but he had a tight coverage catch um and that was that was pretty good and then against washington he had six receptions for 176 yards and two touchdowns um you know five of those you know six of those targets he caught five of them um and then he had one pinpoint catch versus contact in tight coverage um so you know i i think he's a i think he's a compelling nfl caliber prospect in terms of making the nfl and seeing what he can do from there whether that trans whether i see this grade solidifying or maintaining on a level where he's um where he drifts into the area of being a future contributor or starter let's see from a route perspective it's it looks good um from a hands perspective it looks promising though it could go either way like if i see more drops it may be because his positioning could be a little bit better or maybe he's just has some difficulty after contact um 
But from what I've seen thus far just on tape, I would be more apt to be um, optimistic until I see um, more proof to the contrary. So yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by him for sure. So, uh, well, we're going to get to see a lot. Uh, uh, everybody's going to be evaluating him at the senior bowl then. Um, and he's, uh, a name to watch. So I'm, I'm going to watch him after we get done with the show today. Well, fun, you know, and, and it'll be good and he'll do well on the route portion for sure. So that'll probably impress some people, um, at least to an extent that, and what they can be, but Hey, listen, you know, um, in addition to campus, the the RSP, well, I'm going to be coming out with a pre-sale pretty soon, which is 10% discount for those who um, pre-order the RSP pre-draft, post-draft guide, which is usually well over a thousand pages of information um, on the the draft prospects at wide receiver, running back, tight end, and quarterback. And I've been doing it since 2006. It is one of the oldest and most comprehensive independent scouting guides that you're going to find out there. And it is one of the most two most purchased scouting guides by NFL scouts, um, according to people like Alex Brown, who is the recruiting director at Southern Methodist University, yes, SMU. So, um, and he's been doing recruiting for places like University of Houston and Rice, meeting with scouts on a weekly basis. And based on those interactions with people on a rate, you know, who come through, he's, that's why he's told me what he's told me about it. And you, you get scouting reports on players that are pure football, but also give you some fantasy um, perspective as someone who's been a fantasy writer since 2003. So I, I try to give you the real football, but also with a fantasy bent. And uh, as a result of that, you know, if you want to learn more about guys that, you know, we all know about like the A.J. Browns and the Justin Jeffersons and the Nick Chubbs um, and the Zach Wilsons and the Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jacksons. You know, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I'm often I often differ from the norm on all of those guys that we mentioned to a degree that can be valuable to you while also maintaining the perspective to tell you um, this. You know, I may think Nick Chubb is the best running back I've seen in many years, but you know, the NFL is not going to feel that way. So your, his draft capital, you can get him in the mid second round. And if he plays like the guy that I think he will, you're going to be thrilled that you got a guy that should have been picked at the top of the first round, you know, or meanwhile, if I say, uh, you know, I, I don't like this guy. I don't think he should be drafted in the first three rounds. Um, and everyone has him as a top 10 overall pick then you might be able to say, you know what, I can avoid that landmine possibly and be able to get some value elsewhere. Um, and so I've been I've been pretty good at that over the years. I have my misses, you know, Trey Sermon sitting third string for the for the Philadelphia Eagles and we'll see if that ever works out. And you know, but at the same time I continue to learn. I continue to work at the craft and it's gotten to the point that, you know, if Alex if Alex Brown's um, front facing people that he has to deal with on a regular basis buys the work and, and the fantasy community buys the work, then I think you're going to find something worthwhile about it. You can get it at mattwaldman.com, and I will announce a pre-order period, probably after Thanksgiving, where you can get it for $19.95. That's the pre-draft and post-draft versions. The first one comes out in April 1st. The next one, within a week after the draft, you can find videos on them that give you a tour and details there. Um, so, you know, thanks again, and... And listen, on behalf of Felix Sharp, we wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving. 
it's always a pleasure to be able to have you guys listening and giving the feedback that you do. And we hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Take care.